0: My name is Rachel Branky, and this is the Real Biz Talk podcast. And I am joined today with Brock Johnson. He is going to, I think, blow your minds a little bit on a topic that I hear from you guys in our community on Facebook. Which go jump and join in. Uh, But the idea of evolving in your business and growing, and how scary that is, when to know what to do with it. So, uh, Brock, welcome. We're let's start at the beginning. Like, how did you? Well, no, let's yeah, let's start at the beginning, and then we'll end where you're at now.
1: Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. So excited to be here today. Uh, I got my start. Actually, I'm going to go back before I even got my real start in business um, and say that I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. So both my mom and dad have owned businesses um, their entire lives. So I've been very much around that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we were sitting at the dinner table every night talking business strategies, uh, but I was able to learn from them a lot growing up and just kind of watch what they were able to do and how they ran their businesses and conducted themselves. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to my freshman year of college. I was a student athlete uh, living across the country away from my family for the first time. Um, and I wanted to be able to provide for myself. I wanted to create financial independence and I wanted to be able to just in- enjoy things in life, like be able to go to the movies with my friends and uh, put food on the shelves and you know, go out <laughs> to eat when I wanted to. Um, but as a student athlete, I didn't really have time for a traditional nine to five job with the hours that I was playing as a, as a football player and then, you know, having school as well, just didn't, just didn't have the time for a traditional job. So I decided to start my own business. And at that time, I looked at the market and realized what I was good at and what problem existed in the world. And at that time, it was 2015, 2016, um, and Snapchat was all over the news a lot of the way like TikTok was recently, how people were kind of scared about it, what's going on, it's this new app. Uh, back in 2015, 2016, everyone was scared of Snapchat, right? It had disappearing messages, what's going on, what are people doing, what are these teens doing on Snapchat? And so I knew that I was in a unique position in that I knew how to use Snapchat, I knew what was going on on Snapchat, and I had just taught my parents how to use it as a way to uh, stay in touch with me across the country.
0: Time out here, real quick. Do yeah. you mind talking about your parents? Because what you just said like blows my mind that you had to teach your mother yeah. how to use Snapchat. Do you mind us talking about
1: that? Sure. Yeah, we can go well, ahead. We can. We you can want dive to in share there. who your mom is? Yeah, sure. So my mom is Shalene Johnson. Most people know her from the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what she's most well known for. Is she has a, a few uh, best selling fitness programs. If you ever turn on the TV at two a.m., you'll probably see her that's face sure. uh, <laughs> selling exercise DVDs. Uh, but that's what she's most known for. But I think what she's best at is sales and marketing. And so she has like a marketing academy and she's built multiple businesses and they've been successful because of her knowledge mm-hmm. of business and marketing. And I think that's actually why her fitness business was so successful.
0: Agreed. And she's so savvy on Instagram and social mm-hmm. media. So did you teach her Instagram? I mean, I kind of just gave away what you're doing now, but did you teach her Instagram also?
1: I didn't teach her Instagram. She, um, she, we both learned about Instagram, I'd say at the same time. And we okay. still to this day bounce ideas off each other and we're constantly kind of going back and forth with, Hey, did you hear about this? Hey, have you tried this out? Um, but I will say she was on Instagram a few months before I was. Uh, so technically she, uh, she knew about it before me and she definitely had way more followers than I did way before I did.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Well, yeah. it's just, I love kind of looping all around that you grew up in entrepreneurial um, mm-hmm. family. I didn't. My parents are very thrifty and savvy um, in their careers, but not entrepreneurial. So I always love to hear kind of the backstory. Um, and uh, you know, you said it, we're not sitting around the table <laughs> yeah. talking business stuff, but that's cool. Okay. So Snapchat is where Mm -hmm. we were. And so what did you create? You saw the need and you were good at, or you looked at the market to see what was the need was and what you were good at. You combined it to create.
1: To create what was called Unwrap Snap. My mom came up with the name. She's great at coming up with names. So Unwrap Snap was my first course. And that's what it was. It was a $20 course that had um, a few different chapters of video lessons kind of explaining, hey, here's how you use Snapchat. Here's what teens are doing. Here's how to keep them safe on Snapchat. Um, and I launched that in November of 2016, and that was my first official business. But within about four to five months after that launched, um, I started to realize that I had a lot of Snapchat followers. I had a lot of people who were joining this course and becoming customers because they followed me on Snapchat and they watched my daily Snapchat stories. And so I recognize now that I was using Snapchat for business and I was using Snapchat stories and and the -hmm. marketing principles that people would apply to Facebook and Instagram, but I was doing it on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And now I could teach all of these parents who now know how to use Snapchat to keep their kids safe. I can now teach them how they could build a business on Snapchat. So that's how it transitioned uh, from Unwrap Snap as a way to Mm -hmm. keep teens safe into Unwrap Snap for business. And that was really what it was called. It was helping business owners grow on Snapchat.
0: So within that, that whole, what you just outlined of realizing that you could do not just the unwrap snap for the safety, but for the business stuff, was Mm -hmm. there one specific moment where you're like, Oh, light bulb or what did someone mention it to you? Like, what was the epiphany, I guess, of adding that on? And then I have a follow up question after that.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know if there was necessarily like one epiphany light bulb moment. I think it was just a compounding effect of constantly getting messages from people asking me how are you growing your business on Snapchat? One, Uh, number two, recognizing that no one else was really talking about growing a business on Snapchat. But at that time, plenty of people were. So there was this thing that was going on that no one was really talking about. Um, And then recognizing that teaching parents how to keep their teens safe, it wasn't like my calling. It wasn't what my heart was drawn to. It didn't fire Mm -hmm. me up. And so I think that's a great lesson for people to learn is that sometimes when you get started, it's beneficial to get started in an area that you know, you're going to see a quick win, you Mm -hmm. know, you're going to see results, you know, you're going to be able to make sales, even if it's not necessarily like what your heart is bound to do for the next 40 years, even if it's not your purpose, or your calling, get started, get the ball rolling, get some money flowing into your bank account. And then you can pivot and change and start to pursue what what you think your passion or your, um you know, your heart is actually destined for.
0: I love that. I want to come back around to the question in a second, but I love that you mentioned that about the whole passion. And because I work one-on-one with business owners and I'm in different industries and fitness mm-hmm. is one. Um, uh, so that's kind of how I circled around to find you in a roundabout way. And, but I hear a lot of times from my coaching clients who are like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. I just haven't found something I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I is I don't really know, do you have kind of like a mental walkthrough that someone could do to do exactly what you just mentioned, find the quick win, but how do you also get motivated when you know that may not be your long-term offering or long-term passion?
1: I think that the motivation can come from the fact that you know that the quicker you get this thing to be successful, the quicker you can move on to the thing that you are actually passionate about. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, there are gaps in the market, gaps that we can see, hey, I'm really good at this thing. I have this skill. I've learned this ability and no one else is teaching how to do this, or no one else is teaching it in the way that I do it. And so providing that, because that's really what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is being a paid problem solver. You're looking for the problems that people have, and then you are having them pay you to solve their problem, whether that's through coaching, through um, a course, through mentorship, through eBooks, whatever it may be, right? Um, and so that's really what entrepreneurship is. And like we've been saying, it's oftentimes easiest to get started in in an area where you're like, I know I can solve this problem. Mm -hmm. I know there's this big problem in the world. So I'm going to solve it for now. And then two years from now, I'm going to have a following. I'm going to have a reliable income. And then I'm going to be able to pivot and change and go into something that I know really drives me a lot more.
0: It's so funny. The other day I'm always looking around for Mm. the unique things people are doing. And I don't know how many times I send it to my team. I'll take a screenshot of something. I'll go, there really is a niche for everything. And it was like a podcast guest group that I'm in. You know, you look around to see you can have as guest and someone goes, Oh, I could come. I have a podcast. And it was like about fertilizing yards. And I was like, there's <laughs> literally a niche for yeah. everything out there. Uh, what are, what's your opinion on getting really, really niche specific and mm-hmm. dominating a niche first? Mm-hmm. Or, cause I mean, I guess you kind of did with the Snapchat. You probably could even gotten even more targeted with within that maybe with avatar or the the subject matter it was mm-hmm. pretty niche but would w- do you think that getting really really specifically niche would be helpful especially for a quick win
1: absolutely it is everything if you want to be successful as an entrepreneurship on, as an entrepreneur or just growing on social media mm-hmm. having a niche is absolutely step 1 square 1 and the more niche down and specific you can be the faster you will grow and the easier it will be. I think, I, I hope that I'm an echo of what you say and what you preach, but like, <laughs> I, it's absolutely true. It's yeah, absolutely no, true. I'm
0: laughing. Y'all, I didn't pay him to say this. He doesn't have a <laughs> script. He's not reading it. I, I always tell them, get so niched. You're almost scared that it's going to fail. That's yes. when you know that it's niche enough to be attra- you know, attractive and c- attract attention really quickly.
1: Absolutely. Like when I first started that Unwrap Snap helping parents, it wasn't parents, it was moms. It was become a ninja mom. I was helping moms between the age of 35 and 45 learn how to use Snapchat to keep their teens safe. So it was like super hyper specific. And people might say, oh, well, what if there's a 34 year old mom or a 46 year old mom? They can still learn. They can still benefit from what I'm teaching. But as I got super specific, now I know who to talk to. Now I know what language to use. Now I know how to phrase and how to the pacing of my videos and how fast can I explain this tutorial um, and so in doing that, it actually allows you to grow faster. And then as you grow, you can start to broaden out a little bit, you can start to extend your reach, you can start to talk about more diverse topics. But it starts with having a super specific niche. And personally, I define niche as two things. Um, it's not just the topic, it's the focus, the subject, the topic that you're talking about. And it's the group of people you are specifically talking to, right? Because Mm -hmm. Learning to use Snapchat is going to be very different for a 65-year-old versus a 15-year-old versus a 45-year-old, just Mm -hmm. completely different markets. So you have to get really specific Mm -hmm. with the demographics of your ideal avatar
0: yet mirroring everything that I've said to Good. them, but I always like having other voices. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Some yeah. Letters, sometimes, you know. sometimes
1: it's helpful to hear it from someone else.
0: From someone else. And I mean, we're both of us in practice. I mean, we're practicing what we preach. And so mm-hmm. let me ask, is that unwrapped snap? Is it still in existence? Cause I am, I'm the 38 year old with a teenager that has Snapchat. And I have no clue. How to use
1: yeah. it. <laughs> you know, with how many people ask me that I should probably just flip the switches and turn it back on. I turned it off a few years ago and stopped I stopped updating it, updating it, and so because I stopped updating it, I felt um, like I shouldn't be selling it anymore, but a lot of the basics are still in there, and a lot of the fundamentals are still in there, so maybe I should just flip that switch and turn it back on.
0: You could probably hire a teenager to come in and do the updates Honestly. for you at this point. <laughs> yeah. Love it, love it. Okay, so Unwrap Snap went mm-hmm. from the, well, the Snapchat stuff went from Unwrap Snap with the education for safety on Snapchat, then to business owners. Where did your evolution go after that?
1: Yeah. So it was really interesting. I mean, I think a lot of businesses start out of desperation um, and seeing big shifts in the market. And so what happened to me was, again, I was a student athlete. And so after starting Unwrap Snap and having some success, um, the NCA was like, whoa, hold up here. What's going on? And they wanted to investigate me um, to make sure that boosters and and donors for you know, the universities weren't just like sending me money, basically in the disguise of a business. They wanted to make sure I was legit. All of my customers were real customers. They wanted to make sure that I wasn't using my likeness as a student athlete to advertise because mm-hmm. even though yeah. that's legal now, that wasn't legal wasn't at the time. four or yeah. five, six years ago. Um, so the NCA put me under full in, un, uh, investigation for about six months. I wasn't allowed to accept any new clients. Students wasn't really allowed to make any money. Um, and then after that six months was over and they were like, okay, you're good to go. You can resume your business there was this mass exodus from Snapchat. And a lot of people remember this. It was led uh, by Kylie Jenner. It's always led by the Jenners or the Kardashians. So it was led (laughs) by her. She leaves Snapchat and is like, I'm going to Instagram because Instagram had just came out with Instagram stories. Mm. And around this time, I was also growing on Instagram. And I wasn't uh, massive. I didn't have a huge following. I had maybe 20 to 30,000 followers um, on Instagram. And that was after years of posting. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to follow the market. I'm going to look around and realize that people are leaving Snapchat. I'm also going to realize that for the last six months, I haven't been growing a business. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to rebrand and relaunch unwrap snap as unwrap stories and focus on Instagram stories rather than on Snapchat.
0: Do you think if you hadn't had the investigation, it would have been scarier to make that jump?
1: I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so because it probably would have been, um, a, a larger following and a larger customer base over on Snapchat. Like it would have been a train that was still moving rather than a train that was still parked at the station. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely would have been a, a scarier jump.
0: I like that you brought that up. And thank you. I mean, really, that's the point of this podcast is really to get into the nitty gritty details that maybe not necessarily are apparent uh, that mm-hmm. we you know I try to always share about things in my life and failures that I've had for others to learn from. So I appreciate that that you, uh, that you shared that it's just interesting to me because I feel, and this can sound so cliche, but I'm sure you agree. I mean, you just spoke it is that big life altering moments. Um, I imagine that was extremely stressful. I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine going through something like that. Just I'm an attorney and I don't want to be on the other end of any sort of investigation or legal type of stuff, like the stress. But oftentimes what do they say? It's the darkest before the dawn, you know, that whole cliche, but I think it's true. I just look back in my career and the times when I've had the biggest burnout is when I finally recognized I was in burnout, whether, you know, whether it's was during pandemic trying to virtual teach five kids or something else going on. But getting my stuff together and really mm-hmm. getting the train moving or maybe sp- switching <laughs> platforms like this, Snapchat, yeah. Instagram, um, to really see and see a bigger success. Once you do it, but I think it's really hard when you're in that. I mean, you probably were thinking during the investigation, this is never going to end. I'm never going to be able to get back to business. Were you thinking of backup plans at that point?
1: I was, I was, and it was actually during this time that I launched my first podcast, uh, which at the time it's got a super long name, uh, but it was social media money makers also no longer available. But, um, that was the name of my first podcast. And it was launched during this time because it was like, well, I, I can't really uh, sell anything. I can't promote anything. Mm-hmm. So I might as well add in this new uh, channel to reach more people and serve people and educate people and also to establish my own credibility uh, because podcasts are really, really great for getting people to to trust you and, and to uh, respect you as an authority figure. Um, so that's what I did during this meantime. But it was scary. It was frustrating. I was really angry. Um, there was a lot of threatening that was, hey, I might have to, uh, forfeit all of the income that I had made. I might have to, uh, take all the money that I've made and return to the customers or, uh, donate it to a charity of the NCAA's choosing. It was, it was weird. I had to write a bunch of letters and, and thankfully the, the compliance department at my university was super helpful, uh, in getting me cleared and making sure the NCA knew like, Hey, this is legit. This is something that he started before he was. Uh, a student athlete. So luckily I was able to come through it, but it it was definitely a a scary and frustrating time.
0: I can't imagine. Well, you know, and I think that this is a really good example for you guys watching or listening that sharing this sort of stuff helps to humanize you to those that you're trying to serve. I mean, there's such great lessons, but you don't necessarily don't take that to say you have to go and share all the traumatizing or all the stressful things in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, for it's interesting for me, and I'm sure this this happens to you, um, I'll be out in public randomly. I was sitting in Berlin a couple of months ago and someone walked past and go, are you Rachel Brankey? I was in the hotel and I'm like, what? It's so <laughs> weird. She's like, I listened to your podcast and it's just so funny though. Um, I share that as a lesson too, maybe to maybe figure out like your comfort level of how much you really want to share about yourself. But it was on the other side of the world and mm-hmm. someone recognized me while I'm eating breakfast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: So, funny. so n- right now you're doing all the Instagram stuff. So Unwra- Instagram's still the name?
1: Uh, no, no. So that was available for um, a couple years. And then I transitioned into one-on-one coaching. Um, and that continued to grow and grow until the point that I was working nine to five, but with one-on-one coaching. And uh, some days I would have no lunch. I would have my wife uh, now, who was my girlfriend at the time, she would like Slide snacks and food under the door because I would have three minutes in between sessions to to scarf down a meal, um, and it was draining, exhausting, mm-hmm. and it wasn't scalable. Um, I was sitting on you know Zoom all day long coaching people on a one-on-one basis, so I learned a lot and I got to experience a lot, and I helped people in every single niche imaginable. You name it, I helped them, um, and it was really rewarding, but it was also really draining, and it yeah. was something that I knew wasn't going to be a long-term solution. Um, And then the pandemic happened, so I moved back home and I was living with my parents and my mom and I were talking one day and we're like, Instagram changes so frequently. Instagram is changing on a, not even monthly, but a weekly or even daily basis sometimes. And so a course isn't good enough because a course needs to be constantly updated. And if someone pays for it one time, are they getting lifetime access and they're going to constantly get updates? So it just didn't work. So we decided that we need to go with the membership model so that people could pay either a monthly or an annual fee. And then we can constantly update them and do live trainings and update all of the lessons and tutorials. Um, And so that's kind of the basis of how now over two years ago, we started what's called the Insta Club Hub. um, And that's what we do now. And that's um, where all of our Instagram trainings are.
0: I love that. I'm glad you brought that up about the one-to-one. I absolutely... Love and have passion for teaching, and one to one, incredibly love it, but it doesn't really fit in the lifestyle that I have, right? And I always talk to my audience. Very first episode of this podcast actually had a different name at the time. Episode one, you guys go all the way back, it's called Fill the Rocks First. And so talks about you, your time is like a vase, it's finite. And you take the rocks, which are the most Mm -hmm. important things to you, you put that in the vase first, and then the sand is all the everything else you need to do. So really, the rocks are going to be like life stuff um, that I want to do with my kids training, competing with Team USA, that sort of thing. And so for me, we just super limited my one-to-ones, you know, we made it premium um, and we give really good behind the scenes support. So not just zoom time, but it helps my team to also be able to help with giving varying opinions and help to take off some of that load. Cause like you, when I was doing mostly one-to-ones, like you said, it's not scalable. You're, you know, and I love it, but there is a, there's a limit. Um, I think that's, that was one of the burnout time moments that I had. I was just like, I love teaching this way, but I just can't, I just can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, same. I echo everything you're saying. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Do you find, um, and I've kind of shifted this opinion over the years. Do you find that having people in like the Instaclub hub community style helps their learning a bit better as opposed to one-to-one?
1: I think so. Cause I think the ability to get to like, talk to other people, learn from their examples and their experiences, and then also hear their questions, right? It's like being in a classroom. You're going to learn a lot more. And there's a reason why you know, in the university setting, you go to the classroom to learn. And then if you have individual questions, you can go to office hours, or you can email the Mm -hmm. professor. But if it was just one on one, uh, there's so much knowledge that other people can bring questions that they have examples that they can share, uh, that just really aids in that overall experience.
0: You know, as I'm, as you were talking, I was just thinking about I was in my own business program last year as a student Mm -hmm. or a couple years ago. And it wasn't really anything novel that I was being taught by the coaches, but it was listening to the questions that other people had mm-hmm. that would trigger something for me. And then I end up in four days of falling down a hole of researching and strategizing that. And so when people ask, well, was that program valuable for you? They're probably meaning the modules, the videos and so not there wasn't value. I've just been doing business so long. The best value for me was the community aspect of mm-hmm. hearing that um, And what I love about that too, I think that helps us when we have group style or community style type programs, it helps us to improve the product quicker for you all because we're hearing 10 times the amount of questions versus one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're getting basically data. You can look at trends, right? It's not just, oh, hey, this one person had this question or, hey, I had three one-on-one calls today and all of those people had a question about this specific thing on Instagram. And so you think, oh. Everyone has this question when in reality, it was just those three one-on-one calls in that day versus you have a membership with a couple thousand students in it. And they're all uh, asking about a certain topic. You can see trends a lot better when you have a larger sample size.
0: Where do you think you're going to go after Instagram?
1: I have no idea. I don't, I, I used to be a big whiteboard in the room, set goals for the next five years and plan things out. But nothing in my life has gone according to plan. And I'm so thankful <laughs> that it hasn't. Yeah. Um. So I've stopped thinking about where will I be in five years, I'll continue to grow and adapt. I love marketing. I love making content. Um. So I'm not sure where I'll be five years from now or where I'll be after Instagram. But I promise you it won't be Instagram for the rest of my life because uh, just like everything's changed so far, I'm sure that will change as well.
0: It's funny because I am a little bit older than you. And um, I started on Facebook because that was really the only social media that we had. We had just gotten rid of, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember what the name of it is now. Um, t- Tom created it. Everyone jokes about Tom coming back now that Elon's taken over. Anyways, y'all will now write in and tell me what it was. <laughs> but Facebook was the only thing. And I saw for a bit that Facebook pages, once they introduced advertising, algorithm plummeted, but I've noticed in the last year, it's starting to come back. And so Mm. I almost wonder if we won't see a rebound for some of these platforms. Um, Would you because if someone asked me a year ago, do you want to ditch Facebook? I probably would have said for the most part, yes, except for my communities, the pages were dead. I'm like, was like, whatever. Uh, but it's kind of rebounding a bit for engagement for me, at least mm-hmm. maybe I'm just doing something new. Uh, but do you see Instagram taking a lull and coming back? Or what do you think would drive the changes there?
1: Yeah. So I think that there definitely could be a lull and and a comeback for Instagram. And there is a comeback definitely for Facebook pages. And I think the reason for that is that Facebook pages um, allow niche communities to have a sense of belonging. Mm. And they really operate in a way that's unique to pretty much every other social network. Most other social media channels exist in a one to many style. And yeah. hey, here's my YouTube video. All of you guys can watch it. Hey, here's my tweet. Everyone can look at it. Here's my Instagram reel. Everyone can look at it. But a Facebook page or a Facebook group can allow people to really gather around a central topic and all join in on the conversation. Um, and of course, Facebook's a, a much larger platform than something like Discord or something else that allows you know these community conversations. Uh, but yeah, I think Instagram as well is going to um, experience, it already is experiencing a lull um, and it is experiencing mm-hmm. a dip in engagement. And it's actually not Instagram necessarily that is experiencing this lull or this dip necessarily. Um, but it's the users who are. And it's weird because it's kind of, you know, the opposite ends of this teetering spectrum. More people are posting on Instagram now than ever before. Mm -hmm. More people are creating content on Instagram now than ever before. And so the overall amount of content and videos and interactions on Instagram has actually increased. But because there's more fish in the sea, and there's more competition, the individual engagement has gone down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that Instagram is, is here to stay, at least in the near term, because Instagram has some real strengths that other social media platforms, namely TikTok um, and YouTube Shorts, that they don't really have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so until those platforms can emulate what Instagram has done, namely with the, the direct messages features, mm-hmm. um, it's likely that Instagram is going to stick around and even make another push um, in the next few years.
0: So are you on some Instagram creator panel? Do you have an ear at Instagram is what I'm getting at because we need clickable links in our posts.
1: <laughs> I know, we definitely do. And I, and, I, and I do talk to Instagram. I actually, um, over the last year, I've been really fortunate to build um, a really strong relationship with them. Almost a year ago today was my first time ever meeting with Instagram. And I remember I cried the first time I got an email from Instagram staff. I was like, oh my gosh, like no one ever gets to talk to Instagram and they want to talk to me and they want to talk about trends and forecasting. Um, And now a year later, I've talked to Instagram staff in some department, at least on a weekly basis. Cool. Um, but I think the next step that we haven't gotten to yet, um, I actually have it on my to do list right now, is to reach out to Instagram and basically set up a, a panel where we can vent our problems and ask for new features. Um, so that it's not just them guessing and their software mm-hmm. engineers coming up with features, but it's actually driven by us entrepreneurs and creators and what we want, such as clickable links and posts.
0: Well, and also, I mean, having um, the shop feature is great for physical products, but when it comes to having digital, you know, we're kind of SOL and I, I mean, I don't know the the numbers on it, but I would imagine digital and content, you know, digital sales and content creators probably outperform or outnumber physical Mm -hmm. products.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the exact date on that, but I absolutely agree.
0: Yeah. By the way, when we were, it was MySpace. You probably never even Mm, walked.
1: I was never on MySpace, but I'm very well aware of MySpace. (laughs) I
0: miss our, um, we got to custom color code it and have autoplay music. It was the days, but it was nothing compared to the engine that Facebook provided and how Mm -hmm. all these platforms have come. Cool. So I love seeing the evolution of this. I mean, one of the questions that I have in the very beginning, I didn't really get to ask it. Just because you seem so confident in making these pivoting and you know and the changes, but at one point, like, are you really ever scared to do it and lose what you've done, or do you go in with the mindset of this isn't forever?
1: Yeah, I think I always go in with the mindset of this isn't forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love um, the early days. I love the early days when when your views are low and your engagement's low, like. For years, I've been trying to get started on YouTube. I got started a little bit in 2019 and then I fell off the wagon um, and I wasn't very consistent. So I got restarted this year and I'm being super consistent now. And I just hit a thousand subscribers like two days ago. And I'm so fired up about that. Like I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm like, hey, this video got 600 views and I'm ecstatic about it. And then I go back to my Instagram and I'm about to cross 600,000 followers. And so the dichotomy there is hilarious. And so on Instagram, if my video doesn't get 100,000 views, I'm bummed. I'm like, oh, for my standards, that's below average. I'm disappointed. It probably wasn't a very good piece of content. But over on YouTube, it's the early days. I'm like, if I get a thousand views on a video, I'm like juiced. And so I love the early days. I love pivoting and and relearning a platform, it, it's it's exciting for me.
0: I, I love that you said that because I often will sit back and think, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I first got into this, you know, I just couldn't wait to be where I'm at now. But mm-hmm. I look back nostalgic. I'm like, oh my goodness, all the lessons I was learning and the little wins. I remember the first... Um, time that I really saw sales for my digital contracts mm-hmm. and I was sitting on the floor of our townhouse and just refreshing PayPal cuz that's the only mm-hmm. thing I like had at mm-hmm. the time and just watching the sales and I was like oh my god I can actually do this and I still get excited when we're looking at KPIs and numbers now but there's nothing like that in the beginning so if you guys are watching or listening and you're in the beginning document it and enjoy it cuz I wish I really had like journaled more of those moments so that's really one of the only ones I can remember and I loved Loves thinking
1: about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and to kind of bring this full circle, that feeling that you just described hitting refresh on PayPal, I can say the exact same thing I experienced. And so for everyone watching, it's it's a really fueling and motivating feeling. It's really energizing uh, to see like, hey, I actually sold something. Even if you sold it for $3, it's like, wow, I created something and someone now purchased it. Um, and so when we were talking about the very beginning, you don't have to start necessarily with what you're most passionate about and what your life purpose is. If you just get started and then you see, hey, this is possible for me. Hey, I am making sales online. Holy crap. I created this thing in 10 minutes. It's not even something that I'm like super passionate about, but I'm now making sales and helping people. It's rewarding. It's fueling. Um, and, and yeah, and definitely, I also agree that um, document that, share those those wins um, and journal it for yourself because it's it's fun to look back on and remember those feelings.
0: I wish. I really wish I had more of a diary or journal of it and even just like photos of the different things so that I can Mm -hmm. make a montage now for no one else, just myself, but definitely to be proud of the work, you know, and the other side of that is, you know, you're working hard, working hard and you're not making sales. You know, there's lessons that come out of that too. Am Mm -hmm. I not niche enough? Where's my messaging off? And so, you know, in the moment it sucks, but it definitely, because I've had a I've grown how many brands I had one that flopped and I had people in a membership and it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to. Admittedly, I didn't really probably put as much time and effort into it as I should have. And I closed it. And to me, that was a failure. And I don't mind talking about it because I also recognize what was the mistake. I knew what to do. I just didn't implement it. I almost got Mm. complacent and just expected people to show up.
1: Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, what's next on the horizon for you?
1: Uh, Well, now that I'm married, uh, my wife and I, we're starting to build our brand together and our brands, plural, together. Um, so it's really exciting to get to work with her. We're planning potential masterminds and retreats in the near future. Um, and so it's really great to get to partner with my partner a little bit and uh, start to build this business together now.
0: That's fun. Well, Brock, thank you so much. There's a lot of information here. And, you know, we didn't even script out. I mean, kind of gave you some questions. The organicness of this really has hit on probably the top things that, I feel like the audience needs to hear, especially this time of year, Uh, for you guys, we're rounding into a new year. And so you'll be hearing this right on the cusp of coming into 2023. I think it's a really good thing. Go back through and listen to this again. Um, We'll also put the show notes at rachelbranke.com forward slash podcast. You can find all of that there. But definitely dig in because this, the whole evolution of what Brock's talked about good little tidbits on here, stuff that people have to pay thousands of dollars from mentors to learn about. And so you guys have it all. You have it real, unfiltered. And don't forget to jump into the Facebook group community. We will have a thread specific to this episode so that we all can talk, share what we like, share um, our takeaways. And maybe you guys could share some of your experiences of what you've gone through in business to help others as well. So until next time, I will see you guys on the web.